Hey, podcast listeners, thanks for streaming today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory is a nonprofit ministry featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Robert Jeffress. And right now, your generous gift will have twice the impact thanks to the Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge active right now through December 31st. To give a special year-end gift, go to ptv.org podcast and click the Donate button, or follow the link in our show notes. Now, here's today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. This is Robert Jeffress. In response to the horrific attack on Israel, I've written a brand new book called Are We Living in the End Times? Go to ptv.org to order your copy. Where is your faith? What is the object of your faith to survive death and God's judgment? In the passage we're going to look at today, the Apostle Peter tells us that the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ make Jesus alone the object worthy of our faith for life and for eternity. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, debates have raged for centuries over this weighty question. Who was Jesus Christ? Was he a narcissist who thought he was the Savior? Was he a religious charlatan? Or was he actually who he claimed to be, the long-awaited Messiah? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains why we can believe Jesus when he claimed to be the Son of God. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thank you, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. All of us have watched in horror the gut-wrenching scenes coming from Israel. The images are too much to bear as we witness the desperation of those who have been violated. Does anyone need any more evidence of the spiritual attack that is taking place in our world? This is precisely why I've chosen to spend the final month of 2024 giving our attention not to the enemy of our souls, but to the one who redeems us. My final teaching series of this year is called The Incomparable Christ, and my hope is that this study will infuse you with the hope of God's glory, because we know as Christians how this story ends. Well, along these lines, I'm going to ask you to grab a pen or pencil and get ready to jot down our contact information. At the end of today's program, we'll explain how you can request my brand-new leather-bound Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional for 2024. In more than 500 pages, I've provided an inspirational thought for every single weekday of 2024. And I'll be glad to send you the 2024 Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional when you give a generous gift to the matching challenge that's active right now. This is your opportunity to leverage your year-end giving while receiving our most treasured resource at the same time. You can do that right now by going to ptv.org. But now let's resume a message that I began on yesterday's program. I titled the message... This man, Jesus. If you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, as we look at this man, Jesus. Now, Acts 2 records the events at Pentecost. And let me set up uh, the scene here so you can understand exactly what is going on. Pentecost was one of the three feasts that the Jews celebrated in Jerusalem every year. Everyone was chattering about this man, Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. They were talking about his death. They were talking about his resurrection. They were talking about his ascension into heaven that had just happened a week and a half earlier before this. Everybody was talking about Jesus. 
And so when we come to Acts chapter 2, we have the Jews at the temple getting ready to celebrate the festival of Pentecost. You have the disciples in the upper room awaiting the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, they left the upper room and made that short journey to the steps of the temple. Those southern steps where Peter stood up to preach the very first sermon that was ever preached in the history of the church. This is what the sermon was about. It was a sermon about Jesus. Just think of it. The very first sermon that was ever preached in the history of the church was preached about Jesus Christ. That's what Peter did. He preached about Jesus. But interestingly, I want you to notice what he talked about. He didn't talk about the words of Jesus. He talked about the works of Jesus. That Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. Look at the heart of the message beginning in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held in its power. The very first sermon in the history of the church that was preached was not about the words of Jesus, but the works of Jesus. It was not a sermon about Jesus, the great teacher. Peter didn't stand before the people and said, now y'all be nice to one another. Why didn't he talk about that? Because he was talking to unbelievers. They didn't have the power to live by the words of Jesus. He didn't talk about Jesus, the great teacher. He talked about Jesus, the Savior of the world. He said, this man, Jesus, the one you are talking about, the one who just weeks ago died and rose again, and you all saw ascend into heaven. You've got to make a decision about who this Jesus is. Was he just some self-deluded teacher who thought he was the Messiah? Was he the greatest religious charlatan in the history of mankind? Or was he who he said he was, the long-awaited Messiah who came and died and rose again that we might have eternal life? It's time, Peter said for you to make a decision and he said before you make that decision I want you to consider three things about this man Jesus first of all look at his miraculous life look at verse 22 men of Israel listen to these words Jesus the Nazarene a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot ignore the miraculous life of Jesus. But Peter says, just don't recognize his miraculous life. Remember his atoning death. Look at verse 23. This man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. He said this was no accident. Jesus Christ was no victim. Jesus was delivered up. That word delivered means surrendered. That is, God voluntarily surrendered Jesus to be executed. He not only surrendered him to be executed, he planned for his own son's death. The Bible says in verse 23 here, Christ's death was no accident. 
accident. Jesus was no victim. All of this was according to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. In fact, the evidence of that is in the hundreds of prophecies about the life and death and resurrection of Christ that you find written hundreds of years earlier in the Old Testament. Just consider... Just consider some of the prophecies in the Old Testament about the atoning death of Jesus Christ. For example, Zechariah 11.12, written 500 and some odd years before the birth of Christ. Zechariah 11.12 says, Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 53 verse 12 says he would be crucified between two thieves. Think about that. Isaiah was written 740 years before Christ was born. And yet Isaiah prophesied he would be crucified between two thieves. Amos 8 verse 9 says that when he died, a great darkness would envelop the earth. And of course, Isaiah 53 verse 9 says that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb 700 years before the fact. This was no accident. The death of Jesus Christ was God's plan, not just for the salvation of the world, but for your salvation as well. In some inexplicable way, when Jesus hung on the cross, He took the punishment, the wrath of God that you and I deserve. And that's why the Scripture says in Isaiah 53, for He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon Him. By His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us into His own way. But the Lord has laid upon Him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. When I believe except the fact that Jesus died for me, when I quit trusting in my own righteousness, my church membership, my relative goodness, but put my full faith and trust in Him, I no longer have to fear the judgment of God. For all the judgment of God that I deserved, Jesus Christ endured for me. And that's why Jesus said in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say unto you, everyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. And John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, Jesus said, that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes on, clings to, trusts in him, shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Jesus' atoning death. Ladies and gentlemen, it was no accident that Jesus' atoning work on the cross was performed on the day and the hour that it was. Now stay with me on this. We know that Jesus died on Friday afternoon. John's Gospel tells us that it was the Friday of the preparation of the Passover. The Passover would begin at sunset Friday evening. And uh, so the Jews were busy making so preparation for the celebration of the Passover. What was the Passover? You remember the story. Uh, more than a thousand years earlier, the Israelites had been in Egyptian bondage. And remember, God sent ten plagues to try to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. And the climactic plague God sent was the death angel. And God said to the Egyptians and the Israelites, I'm going to send the angel of death, and he will strike the firstborn in every household dead. But he said to the Israelites, if you want to escape my judgment, you need to do this. Take a lamb, an innocent lamb, a blameless lamb, and take that lamb that is free from any blemish and sacrifice it. Kill it. And then take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost of your house. 
And he gave them the way to do it in such a way that it would form a cross. Now remember, this is more than a thousand years before Jesus. And God said, when the angel of death comes, when I see the blood on your house, I will pass over you in judgment. For a thousand years, the Jewish people had been celebrating that night. They no longer celebrate it with a lamb because there is no temple in which to sacrifice that lamb. But in Jesus' day, and for hundreds of years, uh, they would take that lamb on Friday and they would take it to the temple to be killed by a priest. And then they would take that lamb that had been slain home and they would eat the Passover meal on Friday night. Now stay with me on this. The Bible said there was only a certain period of time. Jewish law said there was only a certain period of time in which that lamb could be slain on the day of the preparation of the Passover from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Those are the two hours you had to bring your lamb to the temple. Think of the scene on that Friday. Hundreds of thousands of Jews packed into Jerusalem, coming from all over to bring their Passover lamb, waiting for that appointed hour when the priest would sacrifice the lamb. And at the very moment, the very time, that hundreds of thousands of innocent lambs were being slain in the temple court, Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. At three o'clock, when that sacrifice time began, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Tetelestai, paid in full. It is no accident Jesus died at 3 o'clock p.m. on the Friday afternoon at Passover. He is our Passover lamb. It is through faith in him that we receive a reprieve from God's judgment. God says to every one of us, when I see the blood of Christ on your life, I will pass over you in judgment. There is no condemnation, Paul says, awaiting those who belong to Christ Jesus. That is Christ's atoning work. But fortunately, the story doesn't stop there, does it? Peter says, don't only consider his miraculous life and his atoning death, but also don't forget his supernatural resurrection. His supernatural resurrection, look at verse 24. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power in our series in 1 Corinthians on Sunday nights, we've looked in 1 Corinthians 15, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do we know this wasn't just some mythological appendage attached to the Gospels? How do we know it really happened? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, think about it, he appeared to more than 500 eyewitnesses. Or think about the change, the overnight change in the apostles and what is it that changed them from spineless cowards into courageous defenders of the faith? Overnight they were changed. It's that they had seen the resurrected Lord. Or consider the fact of the seismic change that took place in Judaism overnight. You had thousands of Jews who had, who had obeyed the sacrificial system for 1,500 years. Overnight, thousands of Jews in Jerusalem abandoned their longtime tradition and followed Jesus Christ. The only way you have that kind of seismic change in social structure is by something seismic occurring like a resurrection. Of course, the greatest evidence for the resurrection is the empty tomb. The empty tomb. You know, a few weeks ago, as I mentioned, we were in Israel, and the last day we were there, we went to Golgotha, Calvary, the place of the skull where Christ made his sacrifice for us. And then a short distance from there, we went to the garden tomb. And 
It is very small, and you can go in about two or three at a time. So we lined up to go into the garden tomb. And one of the members, our members on the trip, Dwayne Snell, he went in there. He came out. He grinned, and he said, he's still not there. (laughs) And that's the gospel message. He is still not there. He has risen from the dead. How do you explain that empty tomb Well, some people say the disciples stole the body. The disciples, those sniveling, spineless cowards, the disciples who had all abandoned Jesus like rats off a sinking ship, you mean suddenly they're going to get the motivation, the courage, and the power to overtake 16 Roman guards who were given to secure the tomb? I don't think so. So, well, the Romans and the Jews, they stole it. That's even a more preposterous idea. While the Romans and the Jews, they didn't want that body gone. They wanted it right there. In fact, their greatest fear, Matthew 27 tells us, was that the disciples would come and steal the body and say, He has risen from the dead, just as He said. And then they added, they said, If that happens, the last deception will be worse than the first. That's why Pilate ordered for the grave to be made secure so that nobody could come and steal the body and say, He's been risen, raised from the dead. No, if the disciples didn't steal it, if the Romans and Jews didn't steal it, if nobody in 2,000 years has not been able to produce the body, there's only one explanation, and that is God reached down and took that body out of the grave. The Bible says that is the proof that He is the Son of God. You know, it's interesting to me here, when Peter talks about this in this great sermon, he doesn't preach a sermon on the evidences for the resurrection. You know why? Nobody doubted it. People had been around there. People knew people who had seen the risen Lord. So there was no sermon about the evidence of the resurrection. Instead, the sermon was about the meaning of the resurrection. What does it mean? Look at verse 36 of Acts 2. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter is saying the fact that God raised him from the dead is the signal proof that he truly is the Messiah, the Son of God. Romans 1.4 says he was proven to be the Son of God by his resurrection with power from the dead. The resurrection of Christ proves that he was God's Son. But secondly, the resurrection is proof of the sufficiency of Christ's death for our sins. Think about it. Had Jesus remained in that grave like every one of us remains in the grave until we're resurrected? Had Jesus remained in that grave, it would have meant that when he died, he died for his own sins, not for our sins. But the fact that God raised him up was God's way of saying the sacrifice that Jesus made for the sins of those who believe, that sacrifice is sufficient. It is accepted by me. Romans 4.25 says about Jesus, He was delivered up. That is, He was delivered to the cross for our transgressions, but He was raised up for our justification. The fact that Jesus has been raised up from the dead is is God's way of saying that, that payment has truly been paid in full. That's what the resurrection means. It is evidence of Christ's deity, but also His sufficiency for our sins. And that means we no longer, ladies and gentlemen, have to be held down by the fear, the terror of death. We know that we have life eternal because of what Christ has done for us. It was the patriarch Job who asked perhaps the most important question of human existence. Job asked, 
If a man dies, will he live again? If a man dies, will he live again? If my parents die, will they live again? If my mate dies, will she live again? If my child dies, will he live again? When that inevitable day comes that I shut my eyes for the last time here on earth, do I just slip into an eternity of nothingness? Or will I live again? Don't you agree with me? That's life's most important question. If we die, will we live again? It's really the same question that Martha asked the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Martha, her sister Mary, their brother Lazarus were Jesus' closest friends here on earth. Word came to Jesus that Lazarus had died, and so Jesus made his way to their home in Bethany. And as he was approaching the home, Martha came out, and she started to blame the Lord. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Remember what Jesus said? He said, your brother will rise again. And Martha shot back, oh, I know about all that resurrection stuff, Jesus. But I'm hurting right now. Jesus said, Martha, look at me. Look at me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. And then he added the question, Martha, do you believe? Do you believe? You've been around me for three years, but do you believe? You've heard me teach, but do you believe? You've seen these miracles I performed, but do you believe? Do you really believe? I believe the Lord would say the same thing to you today. You've heard the resurrection story over and over and over again. But do you really believe? Do you believe enough to pin your hopes of the future on the death of Jesus Christ for your sins? If you're trusting in your own goodness, if you're trusting in your religious heritage, if you're trusting in your baptism or some other act of righteousness to save you, your faith is a misplaced faith. Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy of your trust. My friend Erwin Lutzer writes these very convicting words. Five minutes after you die, you will either have had your first glimpse of heaven with its euphoria and bliss, or your first genuine experience of unrelenting horror and regret. Either way, your final destiny is unchangeable. When Peter finished his message, Luke says the people were pierced to their hearts and they cried out, Peter, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized each one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. May God use these words from Scripture to pierce the hearts of people all across the nation and even around the world. Our teaching throughout the month of December is centered on the incomparable Christ. He alone is worthy of our affection and our trust. 
As we conclude today's program, let me remind you that Pathway to Victory is the recipient of a $500,000 matching challenge. This is essentially an arsenal that's designated for greater expansion in 2024. And because of this amazing matching fund, every dollar you give today will be automatically doubled. And then, to come alongside you in a spiritual walk with God, I'd like to send you the brand new Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional for 2024. It's my way of saying thanks when you give a generous gift toward the matching fund. The Daily Devotional is bound in a beautiful forest green leather cover, and there's a chapter for every single weekday in the coming new year. Plus, because of the matching challenge, today your generous gift of, say, $100 becomes $200. A $500 gift becomes $1,000. There's really no limit to how much you can give to the matching challenge. Can you imagine the impact when we reach this staggering goal? All these resources, over $1 million, will be directed toward piercing the darkness with the light of God's Word in the coming year. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous year-end gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'd like to say thanks by sending you the brand-new leather-bound Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional for 2024. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965, or it's even easier, go online to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $100 or more, you'll also receive this month's Christmas teaching series called The Incomparable Christ. We'll send it to you on both CD and DVD. Plus, you'll receive Celebrate the Savior Volume 2, a brand new music CD featuring performances by the world-class First Baptist Dallas Choir and Orchestra, like the Christmas favorite you're hearing right now. Remember, your contribution right now will be doubled in impact through our Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge. So be sure to get in touch today. Call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could send your donation by mail. Write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Sometimes the busyness of the holiday season can really distract us from its true meaning. So next time, we'll pause our hectic schedules to reflect on the remarkable story of the birth of Jesus and the beauty of God's plan to redeem mankind. Join us for a message called Back to Bethlehem. That's Friday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. You've made it to the end of today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. We're so glad you're here. Pathway to Victory relies on the generosity of loyal listeners like you to make this podcast possible. And right now, your special year-end gift will be matched and therefore doubled in impact thanks to the Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge. Take advantage of this opportunity to double your impact before the deadline on December 31st. To give toward the Matching Challenge, go to ptv.org podcast and click on the Donate button or follow the link in our show notes. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast from Pathway to Victory.